Typically, I stick with the lectionary, but we're going to stay with what uh, we've been learning. Greatest sermon ever given. Not me. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to keep learning as we enter into the season of Lent about what Jesus desires for us to learn. And so let's review. We're about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. It's a roadmap for how to live, what to fill our lives with, what to avoid. In the very first week, we heard the Beatitudes. Blessed are you, or you're on the right road when... You're on the right path when you're merciful, when you are in mourning, when you seek righteousness, when you are a peacemaker. And then that way of living on that second week, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and that your good works may glorify your heavenly father. And then Jesus continues on in the third week. Jesus starts to preach an exegetical sermon about the Ten Commandments. And he brings up difficult matters of divorce and murder and adultery. And he does so not to shame us, not to make us feel guilty, but because God is a God of love and God is a God of relationships. And we need help in our relationships. And so he gives us guidance to move forward and not to look back. So it's not done out of judgment. And then he continues on. Because God is a God of restoring relationships, he takes us a giant step further. A challenging step where... Not only our relationships with our friends and co-workers and family members and spouse, but Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for them. Forgive them. And that's hard. But that's what God calls us to do. It's living differently. And we kept going, even this week, in Ash Wednesday, the passage that preceded the one you're about to hear where Jesus taught us when you pray, when you're giving your offerings, don't do it to impress others. Do it for an audience of one. And that is God and God alone. And so that brings us to today's passage, coming from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 26. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, For they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word of the Lord. This week, this big week, we replaced our washer and dryer in our house. So after that took place, Allie and I are in the kitchen, and instead of, after we ran the very first load, instead of hearing the old, eh, we heard this delightful, ding, 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 so this new washer, this new dryer, apparently uh, it can connect to my smartphone. Now, I'll never connect it to my smartphone, not, maybe because I don't know how, but also I don't think it's necessary. Here's what we want out of a washer. Something that will clean our clothes. Here's what we want out of our dryer. Something that will dry our clothes. It's that simple. It's exa- that's what we need in our household. In this passage that we heard, we are reminded that Christ knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what you need in your life. Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. Because you are his creation. He knows you better than you know yourself. Because he hears your prayers. He's aware of what is going on in your everyday life. He's paying attention. God knows exactly what you need. In today's passage... Jesus is teaching us about spiritual disciplines, specifically the sacrificial giving, giving of our time, giving of our talents, the spiritual discipline of prayer, and the spiritual discipline of fasting. Those three right there. And so let's talk about those three. There are things in our lives that we want, and there are things in our lives that we need. And when we practice spiritual disciplines, it helps for us to reveal the difference between the two, between our needs and our wants. Spiritual disciplines is the practice of abstaining from the wants. And then it clarifies what we truly need in our life. We may think that we need to be connected to social media and on our phones on the time, all the time. But that's actually what we want. The truth is, it's not what we need. And so one of the more popular fasts going on right now are technology fasts, social media fasts, where we remind ourselves we don't need to be on our devices all the time. We don't need to be knowing what everybody else is doing or sharing what we are doing to everybody else. 
that there are simple pleasures in life that have been experienced by humanity well before smartphones and Facebook, face-to-face conversations, going on a walk, getting some exercise, watching a beautiful sunset, creating artwork, writing in a journal, listening to a music, dancing. Many of these joys are experienced when we practice the spiritual discipline of abstaining from something else that is taking from our time and our energy so that then we can experience these things that really fill us up. And when you fast, and this is now fasting from food, we don't do it to just drop a few LBs. We don't do it just to get a little bit slimmer, get a little bit healthier. We're probably all aware of the popularity going on of intermittent fasting. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here with fasting as a spiritual discipline. This is different. When you fast as a spiritual discipline, you learn to control your desire for food. You're in control. Not that desire. When you feel those hunger pains, you are reminded of all those in this world that go to bed hungry. You are reminded of what we are called to put in our bodies. Our bodies are a temple of the Lord. So what we put in them should be healthy and nutritious and not always what just tastes the best. You are reminded that God provides for your every need and more. There are overflowing refrigerators and pantries. God provides for exactly what we need and more. And especially in our society, there are times where we take that for granted. There are times where we need to feel those hunger pains, where we need to wait and be patient. And when that fast has come to an end, then we put in our bodies something that is nutritious and even more delicious because we've had to wait. So there's one spiritual discipline. Next one, the spiritual discipline of daily prayer, where we remind ourselves that God is present. God is listening. God is paying attention. God cares about your life. God loves to hear your voice and be in conversation with you. And that's what prayer is, talking to God, sharing with God what's going on in your life. Here's one thing that I would recommend, not only to be more intentional with prayer, but when you are done praying and speaking, before you say amen, just take some time and be quiet and listen and be still. Provide an opportunity for God's voice to speak back to you. It is amazing when that happens. It is powerful when you allow God 
to speak back. And sometimes he shares with you exactly what you need to hear in that moment of time. A voice that is not your own. And then we get to giving. Jesus calls it when you give alms. Christ says sacrificial giving of our time and our talents and our finances, that that is a key component to the Christian life. It's another spiritual discipline that separates our wants from our needs. We live in a world that is bombarding us with messages of all the things that say, you need this, you need this fancy car, you need this new part of what's in your house, you need all these things, you need this new brand of clothing, you need this furnishing, you need this appliance, The truth is, we don't need these things. And when we spend our lives pursuing all this stuff, all the things that these advertisers say we need, our life gets filled with more and more clutter. And so we go through this cycle of purchasing something new, and there's a high to it. There's an enjoyment of unwrapping it, of experiencing it for the first few times. And like everything we buy, that high fades. And we're left feeling empty. We're left wanting something more. We feel this void within us. And now we're ready to go back to the mall, to go back online, and to search for that next new shiny thing. And then we're left feeling empty and like something is missing one more time. So we have an opportunity in the Sermon on the Mount to clear up some misconceptions about almsgiving, about tithing, about what it means, about why we should do it. So let's clear it up. When you tithe, tithe means a tenth, means giving a tenth of what you earn. Tithing is not giving your leftovers. Tithing is not paying your membership dues to church. It is not doing your part to make sure that these lights stay on or that the staff gets paid. It is not a way to demonstrate your approval or disapproval of decisions that get made either by me or by our session. That is not sacrificial giving. It is not about the church or its leaders or its pastor. It's about you. The spiritual discipline of tithing is meant to benefit you. Did you know that? It's true. Because when you tithe, you feel it. You write that number down and you go, whoa, that's a lot of money. That's quite a few vacations or another car or adding more to the savings. That's the initial response when you first tithe, especially if you've never done it before. I could buy this or I could buy that. But Christ says, that's not what you need. 
You don't need a little bit more savings. You don't need another car. You don't need one more vacation. Here's what you need. You need to demonstrate that God comes first in your life. And so this is where Jesus clearly says it right here and makes us feel a little uncomfortable. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not the other way around. Not where your heart is, there your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. He says it clear as day. When you choose to spend your money elsewhere and choose not to practice sacrificial giving, that reveals your priorities. That reveals what comes first in your life. Where you spend your time. Where you spend your time and your money reveals what comes first. And so when you practice a spiritual discipline of giving 10% of tithing, you are saying, God, you come first in my life. You are the most important thing. Here's another thing that happens when you choose the sacrificial to give sacrificially. It's an acknowledgement that everything that you have, everything that you are, is a gift from God. Part of today's passage is about motives and motivations for why we give. We don't give to earn God's favor. God continues well before that, regardless of anything that we've said or done or given, to be generous to us. And so we give as a grateful response. It's saying thank you. That's what we're doing. Here's the last thing we're doing when we're tithing. I mentioned how it makes us feel uncomfortable. How we're uncomfortable because we're sacrificing. We're sacrificing because we're not going to go on that vacation. We're not going to make that next purchase. Our house isn't going to be the biggest. Our car isn't going to be the nicest in the lot. But through the spiritual discipline of sacrificing those things, a light goes on. And this is that next step that moves beyond the discomfort, is when that light goes on, it is an amazing and beautiful light. It is one that says, you know what? That's okay. Because I do have a home and a job and a car, and God continues to provide for exactly what I need. And I'll have vacation time, and I'll get to go and see beautiful places. Maybe it won't cost as much, but that recognition comes only through the sacrifice, and that sacrifice then creates freedom and liberation. I highly recommend it. Do it not for the church or for me or for our staff. Don't do it because eventually we'll need a new roof. Do it for God. Do it for an audience of one. Here we are in the season of Lent where you get to remember that God, our Heavenly Father, sent his one and only Son into this world. And his Son, Jesus Christ, came into this world 
And he laid down his very own life so that we may have life, eternal life. God is worthy of our first fruits, not our leftovers. God is someone that is deserving of that number one spot and nothing and no one else. And when you live that way, then something strange happens. As we do it for God, we learn more about ourselves. We learn that we can trust God in our life. We learn that we can appreciate what we have and not constantly be yearning for all that we don't have. We can be at peace and be filled with a sense of contentment and living on less, having all that we need and more and experiencing that freedom and trusting in God's provision and protection in our lives. Amen.